Welcome back to the 2R1 podcast, where we study the Bible together as a married couple. I'm Taylor. I'm Elisa. We're glad you're back with us. Last time we were together was the beginning of Acts chapter 2 a couple weeks ago. The title was One Voice. Uh, This week we hope to finish Acts chapter 2, and the title of this week's message is The Last Days. Uh, Then we're going to have part two of this podcast series with Pastor Mickey Lindsay of Jacobswell Church, so make sure to check that out, part two of the Last Days podcast. We hope you guys enjoy it. Sit back. Enjoy the ride. It's been a couple weeks since we were together, but uh, life kind of happened. And also, we I wanted to make sure that we were we. A, as prepared as possible for Acts chapter 2, because I think it's one of the most important chapters in the New Testament uh, outside of the uh, story of the cross and the Gospels. So uh, we've got a lot to cover tonight. We hope to get through it, and we'll see what happens. So, Elisa, if you want to read for us. All right, we're picking up in verse 14 in chapter 2 where we left off. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both him has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that is life. Father, we thank you for forgiving us. We thank you that there's nothing that we can do uh, to separate uh, us from you and your love for us, Lord. Uh, Outside of rejecting the truth of the gospel, Lord, there's nothing we can do to, uh, to get away from you, Lord, that you are constantly pursuing us even when we mess up. Father, even when we um, stumble in our faith, Father, I praise you and thank you that uh, that your arm is long enough to reach us even at our bottom, Father. Um, I thank you that uh, you're good all the time. I thank you that your word has been given to us to lead us and guide us, Father. I thank you for the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Lord, I thank you for all things that you're doing, Lord, and what you're going to do uh, in our lives. I thank you for Um, speaking through us tonight and I ask you to just go before us and uh, bless our words Lord that they may be a blessing to your people Lord and uh, lift up the name of Jesus in Jesus name amen amen did I hear a tambourine out there somewhere fall possibly our kids are (laughs) out there okay so again this is just in my mind a monumental huge chapter I'm probably building it up you know too much too much pressure I'm going to miss some stuff. We're going to miss some stuff, but we're going to do our very best to, to, um, to do it justice. So, Elisa, you read a bunch there, and even there's more after that. There is. Um, so we're picking up in verse 14 where Peter is responding. If you remember, he was mm-hmm. responding to the people from the last time we were together, Acts chapter uh, 2 at the beginning, when uh, all the... Um, people who believed in Jesus at this time were gathered together uh, based on what Jesus had told them to do, told them to gather together and wait for the promise of the Father. So they're waiting in this house, the Bible says. There's a a sound as a mighty rushing wind. The Holy Spirit comes down as cloven tongues of fire, the Bible says, and rests on each one of them. Uh, And we, we know then that the townspeople, the people nearby, hear this commotion, this loud sound from heaven, and they come gathering towards and near the house where this has has happened, and they see all this going on. And they see all the people in the house talking in their native language. All these people are in town from all over the world, the Bible says, for the Feast of Shavuot, the Jewish Feast of Shavuot, which is Pentecost. So there's people of all different languages, and they reference that. We're from here, we're from here, but yet we hear them in our our language. How can this be? And so all these people are marveling at this miracle that's happening in front of them. And then some people are like, oh, these people are just drunk. The naysayers. The naysayers. They're like, oh, these people are just drunk. So Peter gets up, prompted by the Holy Spirit, to respond to this. Mm -hmm. So he gets up and he says... Which is amazing in itself that Peter, just days before, I know it's been... Mm-hmm. You know, a couple months now, but still, it was not that long ago he was shriveling back from mm-hmm. the attention and the crowd that was a naysayer, mm-hmm. and here he is standing boldly. Yeah, you know? I mean, because we we know what they did to Jesus mm-hmm. when when they challenged the naysayers before, 
Yeah, um, we don't give enough credit to Peter, I feel like, after that. <laughs> yeah, and God, Jesus had restored him mm-hmm. on the beach, and that's a cool story, too. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times, and then on the beach, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, yes. So it's in Jesus' own way, he was restoring him. You know, if mm-hmm. Peter's three mess-ups, God reassured him three times, you yeah. know, on the beach. Uh, so Peter is... Us. Is, fresh, is us. <laughs> He's freshly recommitted to the Lord's service, and now the Holy Spirit has descended upon all of them. So now he's filled with the Spirit. So he speaks after being prompted by the Spirit in response to the naysayers, and he immediately begins to quote uh, Joel. And I just I went back during these couple of weeks that we had off here, and I read these scriptures that Peter is quoting. I read them in context. Um, so he's quoting uh, Joel 2, verses um, 28 through 32 here. And basically the prophecy in Joel, one of the commentaries that I read said there's really not an exact pinpointed timeline of when Joel was written. Um, we know that it was written by the Old Testament prophet Joel. They're not exactly, you know, a lot of that scripture they can pinpoint. They can't pinpoint this. But basically it's on the heels of God talking about um, there being some judgment on the children of Israel for their lack of faith or for walking away and, you know, worshiping false idols. That same story that repeats in Israel's history, Joel is writing in response to that. And then kind of just like a lot of other prophecy scripture, in the middle of it, he breaks into this. And Peter pretty much quotes him word for word from the Old Testament. And so basically this is the promise of God in the Old Testament for what just happened. And that's what Peter's saying. God gave him this revelation hey, I promised you that I was going to do this. Joel spoke it, and this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Um, the thing that stood out to me about, about th- these particular verses from the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, you think about the way things used to be back in the past and about how you know, people owned uh, slaves in cultures all over the world, and there was the caste system where you had poor people were way down here, and then you had wealthier people that were deemed more important. And and there's still some of that today. But God, even in the Old Testament, in the midst of a of a straight caste system, you know, you had shepherds and then you had, you know, rich people. I mean, even in ancient Israel, you know, the shepherds were the least of the society and that kind of thing. And even slaves. God says, I'm going to pour it out on everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, think about being in that culture and you think you're better than somebody else because your family's wealthy and there's a there's a slave washing your feet. But yet you cannot get around the scripture that God wrote, even in the middle of that, where God says, you know what? I'm going to pour it out on everybody. I'm not just going to pour it out on the rich people. I'm not just going to pour it out on the people uh, that have been to the temple every day since they were a boy. They sacrifice all the time. Like God shows in this scripture, even in the midst of all that Old Testament um, kind of caste system that we see in, in ancient Israel, God is no respecter of person. He pours it out. He even says, I'll pour it out on your sons and daughters, which kids were were said not to speak back then. Like, you look at the kids coming to Jesus, and the disciples mm-hmm. are like, hush, kids. And Jesus is like, don't forbid them to, to come to me. So mm-hmm. God is saying, little kids, sons and daughters, they're going to speak, and they're going to speak for me, which is prophecy. Prophecy is speaking under the anointing of God. It can be, it can be uh, prophetic, uh, predictive in, nat- in nature, or it can be just speaking under the influence of the Spirit. Um, so the sons and daughters who were disqualified in their culture. Mm-hmm. 
And he he starts with this because he's talking about his spirit and that final restoration that the Jewish people are are in hopes for. That's why they do what they do mm-hmm. and why they observe even what they're observing. It's it's you know everything that they've brought up to believe in is here right in front of them. And so, you know, Peter's trying to remind them that this is what you've been praying for. This is what we've been waiting for. And, you know, it says so in Joel that he'll pour out his spirit, and that's what we're witnessing. And that is the the transformation, you mm-hmm. know, it's inward and outward. <laughs> and he goes on to say, young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my slaves, both men and women, will I pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. You know, you, you you can read this literally and be like, okay, well, I'm an old man. I'm only going to dream dreams. You know, I'm, I'm a son or a daughter. I'm only going to prophesy. No, <laughs> that's not the way God is meaning this. Basically, God is meaning this. Even on the kids, they'll prophesy. Even young men will see visions. Like So any one of the categories that you're in, in these categories, God can do any of these things. He can give you visions. He can... Uh, bring prophecy up in your spirit through the Holy Spirit. Like He can bring, you know, He can give you prophecy. He can give you visions. He can give you dreams because His Spirit lives in you if you're a born-again believer. But you know what my next thought is? I want some of this. Hmm. You know, I've had some dreams, and I praise God for those dreams. But this is what the church should be longing for, not just for the gifts of God, which these are gifts, prophecy, visions, and dreams, but we should be longing for a relationship so close with God that we begin to see the fruit of prophecy and visions and dreams in our lives, you know? Do we as 2019 American Christians long for a close close enough relationship with God for these things to start happening in our lives? Mm-hmm. You know, and we'll we'll speak later with with uh, Pastor Mickey Lindsay. He talks a little bit about this about the power of God um, in the church in 2019. But that was my next thought. Do we have? Do, are these things happening around us? Are they happening in our lives? Should they be? I believe they should. God said He was going to pour them out. You know, there's a whole group of Christians that believe that these kinds of things ended with the apostles. But my Bible says, Jesus says in the New Testament, he said, people are marveling at his miracles, and he said, you shall do greater things than these. You know, so I don't believe these things are over. I believe that God's desire in these last days mm-hmm. to work even more because the cost is getting higher and higher because the time is getting closer and closer. So then he goes on and says, you agree with that, babe? I do. You do? I do. I was curious what, what you thought I think about that. what we talk about later with Brother Mickey um, is point on that. I think the reason we're not seeing that here, because I've talked to people who have gone on mission trips, and they're like, those kind of miracles you hear about in the Bible, they're happening mm-hmm. around the world. They're happening where people are more hungry, mm-hmm. and I, I, the, the Christians are coming together. Mm. There may not be as many Christians, but... God doesn't need a big uh-uh. number. He just needs a faithful number. So then he goes on and says, and this gets into some end times prophecy here. So he says, I will perform miracles in the sky above and signs in the earth below, blood, fire, and thick smoke. The moon will become dark, blood, uh, the moon will become, sun will become dark, moon will become blood. So we know about the blood moons and all those Mm -hmm. things. That's kind of a whole separate issue. But the bottom line is everything that he's speaking about here 
is to occur in the last days. Well, what does that mean? That's the title of this podcast, The Last Days. So the last days began at this moment. When Jesus ascended, the last days began. So they were living in the last days. We're living in the last days. And regardless, because if, you know, we look at hindsight, and even though, you know, I mean, 2,000 years is nothing when you have eternity to compare it to. But, you know, I started thinking about that a little bit. Why is he talking about the last days here? I mean, nobody knows the time or hour. We know that. But it is such a long ways away. But we're all living in our last days. It doesn't matter if it... That's a good point. The, the thing is, is it now is your time. Mm-hmm. The time for salvation is now. And Peter knows that because we of how little we know mm-hmm. about the last days, personal last days. This could be my last day. And so it's it's a pressing issue, and it's not to scare anybody into salvation, but to realize the truth of, you may not have time to do this later. It's pretty important, you know? <laughs> pretty important. I mean, we're not talking about, you know? We're not talking about what color shoes you want to buy. It's pretty important where you may spend eternity. And aside from that, how do you want to spend your last days? Even if I still have 50 more years, how do I want to spend those? Do I want to spend those, you know, trying to fill this void or find what fills it and, you know, Mm -hmm. live it out? And then he goes on to finish that little section. He says, and then, talking about the last days and as these things have come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple quick questions. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? And what are we saved from? You're asking me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to come to the end of yourself, I feel like, is when you call on the Lord. You know, when you realize mm-hmm. you can't save yourself. It's and that you it. need saving. And that you need saving, yeah. That was what it was for me, the revelation of man. I, yeah, I've made a mess. and <laughs> I, I need... I need him to save me, you know, and then realizing I can't do it myself. I think that's probably a little different for some people. I think some people operate in more of that self-sufficiency, and they and it's more of they fail and realize I I need him. And for me, it was I realized my I don't know, just my depravity, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then what are we saved from? I mean, really, these are just simple questions mm-hmm. that we don't really ever talk about or think about. We just kind of say these words. But what are we saved from? You know, have, we ever, have you ever thought about that? We're saved from our sin and from, our, from an eternal life in hell. An eternal life in hell. We're saved from, the, yeah, the wrath of God, the just wrath of God on sin because God is a perfect God and holy and just and true. And in order for there to be justice and for God to maintain his justice he has to punish sin mm-hmm. and that's what we're saved from we're not just not just saved from our sin I feel like sometimes that's how I thought about it when I was growing up like you know I'm just saved from my sin but I, I think when we realize well it's not that I, I quit sinning after I'm saved it saves me from even my future sin which doesn't give me a, a you know pass to just keep sinning intentionally but it saves me from an eternal, not just an eternal life in hell, but an eternal separation from my father. Mm-hmm. The separation mm-hmm. from that's that's definitely. I, mean, the best way I don't to put ever it. feel like it's, 
You know, I think that that trips a lot of people up when they think about, you know, the reason you're saved from hell is because it is God's punishment on sin. But God's not sending us to hell out of punishment. It's because he cannot be in the presence of sin. And so instead of punishing us, he took our place so that we could be with him forever. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, he doesn't want to punish us. No, and hell is not made for us. No. It's made for the, the um, satanic angels, the angels that fell from heaven, the devil and his angels. But I think that it is important to remember the gory details of that part because God does hate sin, you know. It grieves God's heart. It breaks his heart. He's a jealous guy. We know that he gets righteously angry when we try and put things ahead of him and it breaks his heart and God hates sin. And so when we're talking about in our culture and we're having these conversations with people, we have to be careful with that. But at the same time, we can never forget the just wrath of God upon the sin of man that Mm -hmm. it's justified. And I think, you know, when Peter's talking, his audience here is very much aware of the price of sin because they have just had to sacrifice the lamb. They have just had to go through that, and they do that every year. They are more aware of the price of sin than we are. Absolutely. And so he's reminding in this sermon, like, you know, we don't have to have that anymore. Jesus took their place, and we can look back at the scriptures and the word that we do hold so dear to see the evidence Mm -hmm. of that. And he continues on. Yeah. With more and more proof, not just from Joel. Yeah, he reminds them that this Jesus walked among them mm-hmm. and that he showed himself to be from God by the mighty works that he did. And then he goes on to say, and then he said, and then this man was arrested in accordance with God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. You know, that mm-hmm. trips people up sometimes too, but basically, God knew how all this was going to shake out a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And he still chose to drink that cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Then he says, and then you nailed him on a stake and killed him. You know, right there he brings conviction on the on the people. And that's a hard thing to hear. But honestly, it's true of all of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like Elisa said a minute ago, he paid the price for our sin. Even on the cross some 2,000 years ago, God had me in his mind. And the things and the, the vile and wicked thoughts and things that I've done the sin that I will do in the future, all of those things were on God's mind. My name, your name, everyone listening to this, everyone's name and the mess that you have done, the mess you will do, all of that was on the mind of Jesus and the punishment, the just righteous punishment of God was laid on Jesus for your crimes, for your sins, for your horrible treatment of your mom and dad, for your lying, stealing, cheating, murdering, adultery, all of that, Jesus paid the price for that. We put him on Mm -hmm. the cross. We nailed the nails. You know, we can think that it's these Roman soldiers some 2,000 years ago, but we, Mm -hmm. we killed Jesus Mm -hmm. with our open conscious rebellion and sin against God. So to read this passively and think, yeah, they killed him. No, we, our hands are guilty and in need of pardoning. Mm -hmm. And that's why the gospel is a real personal message. So he begins to bring that message to them and to tell them the truth, which is that their sin, our sin, put him on that stake. We killed him. Mm -hmm. 
And then he says, but God raised him up from the dead. And then he goes into more prophecy from David here, mm-hmm. which is awesome, by the way. Uh, next Easter, read Psalm 22. <laughs> I, every year, each of us listening to this podcast need to read Psalm 22. If there's ever a question about the prophecy of Jesus and the cross, read Psalm 22. So he, he quotes some of that here. Um, mm-hmm. And let me just real quick mention the places where he... So he um, in Acts 2, you've got Peter quoting Joel 2. 28 through 32. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you have Psalm uh, 16 um, and Psalm 110. So Psalm 22 is actually not quoted here, but do read Psalm 22 at Easter. Um, So he goes and says, he's quoting, what is that, Psalm 16? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He says, let's see. He just quotes what David says in Psalm 16. He says, I saw God always before me, for he is at my right hand. He goes on to say, you will not, he said, you will not suffer my body. Help me out, babe. Oh, you will not abandon me in Sheol or in hell. Did you ever say hell? Hades. Yeah. You will not abandon me to Sheol or let your Holy One see decay. So he, there's all kinds of prophecy here. I don't know if we can get in the nitty gritty of this, but basically... Jesus, the Jewish culture believed that after four days, the the spirit left the body, and after four days, the begot, the body would begin to decompose. Well, Jesus rose before his body began to decay. So the fact that Jesus rose in the amount of time that he did is that part of the prophecy. He says, you'll not let your Holy One see decay. So Jesus rose before his body could decay. And the part about Hades or Sheol, that's a whole long, drawn-out explanation also, but in First uh, Peter and in other places, we know that Jesus did work while he was in the tomb, spiritually, in the spiritual realm, that Jesus went and led, uh, I think it's in First Peter, he says, led captivity captive. Jesus went to all those saints of the Old Testament in Sheol, which is a place of both Abraham's bosom and Hades and hell. They're both in a, in, a, in a middle ground, heaven was not open to the saints at this point. There was just a place of temporary holding until Jesus could pay the price. So Jesus goes there, gets those in Abraham's bosom, and takes them to heaven. And so he says, you know, everyone else before Jesus that had died that was in the faith, they were stuck there. Even though it was a place of blessing in Abraham's bosom, they were stuck there until Jesus came and took them to heaven. So that's why he says, you will not abandon me. In Sheol or Hades, mm-hmm. there's some there's some play in what's meant there, but um, that's the kind of the general uh, cons- that's kind of a general overview of that that topic there. Uh, and then he says, "I love these verses." He says, "You have made known to me the ways of life. You will fill me with joy by your presence." So then Peter goes on to be a little bit sarcastic here, and he says. Given all that, brothers, I can tell you, <laughs> David, who wrote this psalm, was not talking about himself because... We can still go find his tomb. We can still go look at his bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Peter's being his usual little bit of a you know, <laughs> divisive kind of uh, self here, and he's, 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 he's messing with them a little bit. So he's talking about how um, King David could not have been talking about himself. He says, but you know, David was a prophet. He was speaking of things to come with, about Jesus. Um, and so then he goes on and quotes him again. Um, 
It says, moreover, he has been exalted to the right hand of God, has received from the Father the promise, the Holy Spirit, and now he's given that to us. He's poured it out on us. Then he quotes David again and says, uh, God said to my Lord, my Lord said to my Lord, however yours words it, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He says, therefore, let the whole house of Israel know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you executed on a stake. That may seem like a non-important thing to say, for us as possibly well-taught Christians, but there's a whole group of people, different sects and subsects of, of Christians that believe that Jesus was, you know, not fully God, but that he was, you know, so basically this is Peter assuring everyone listening that this Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. He's not just a servant of God that came to pay a price like he is seated at the right hand of God, the right hand of power, equal footing, equal ground with God, and that he will make his enemies his footstool. Everyone else is below him. Jesus is above him. It's a simple point, but people actually, some people don't believe that. You know, and so Peter's addressing the fact that Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just from God. He didn't just pay our price. He is Lord God Almighty. Mm-hmm. He is God incarnate. And then in verse 37, as soon as he gets done declaring that statement and he has reminded them what they've been there in Jerusalem for, everything has come to this and they they are cut to the heart. And it says in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What should we do? <laughs> Maybe that should have been the title. What should we do? <laughs> I mean, we got to have that moment as a Christian. If we were raised in church, we've heard it. We're like, okay, I'm a Christian by association. If you've never been cut to the heart and asked, what do I need to do? That's, that is the precursor to salvation right mm-hmm. there. That's the moment where you realize your need. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I love the honesty of that statement. What do we do? <laughs> I love that. And then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And my phone just jumped. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. That is the one church. Amen. And do you want to be saved? you want to know how to do it? Mm -hmm. Peter says, repent, turn from your sin and be baptized. I think a lot of times now we just think repent means confess. Yeah. But it really means to stop and turn around. <laughs> it means to go the other way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It says, turn, mine says, turn from your sin, return to God, 
and each of you be immersed or baptized on the authority of Jesus the, the Messiah into forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. You will receive the Holy Spirit. When you turn from your sin, repent, mm-hmm. turn to God, be baptized. So if that's what you want, praise God, just do it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. <laughs> uh, and then he goes on. I love that. This promise is for you, for your children, and for those far away. That doesn't mean you can get your children in heaven, but everybody has this invitation. So it went out, mass email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so he says that he pressed with many other arguments. Um, and then it says it that... says with many other arguments? Mine says he pressed his case with many other arguments. If yours says he kept exhorting them, mm-hmm. many other arguments and kept pleading with them, save yourselves from this perverse generation. That is still true today. That <laughs> yeah. is still true today. A, a wicked and perverse generation where we call good evil and evil good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, abortion is legal. Mm-hmm. You know, our government has put its stamp of approval on that. That is evil because it's murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just one thing. Our society in many ways is worse, but in many ways is no different mm-hmm. than this society. Save yourselves from this perverse generation. Do not buy the lie that everything's going to be okay. We're all going to get there. Because God must punish sin. And unless we accept His payment and his, the punishment that's already been substituted, we will pay for it with our lives, with our mm-hmm. eternal life. You're going to live eternally in one of two places. And we can either take Jesus' payment or we can just forfeit it and spend eternity away from God in a place called hell. Um, fin- finish this out for us, baby, because I feel like this is your heart. Well, it after you make that decision, this is, and most I, I would venture to say a lot of people listening have already made that decision. So this is what we can expect as a as a group of believers, and it doesn't matter what church you go to, but it says once they made that decision, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And this is where they found joy. This is where they found encouragement. This is where they found their people. This is their place. This is where they fit. And it said, this is how they acted together. Everybody who believed were together and had all things in common to the point of their possessions. And I know this is so hard for us to wrap our head around yeah. today. I'm trying to see how you're going to deal with this Me right too. <laughs> I mean, it's been tried in society after society of people just sharing all things, and some people don't do as much work as the other. Um, but instead of worrying about that, we should just be focused on what God would have us to do instead of what our neighbor is necessarily doing. But that's a whole nother yeah, podcast. Yeah, like what need has God shown yeah. you? Like you just concentrate on that. And so it may, you know, that we have some work to do in that, but... If you're just looking at the body and they're they're doing this and they distribute it as they had any any need and then day by day tending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people that stood out to me for some reason having favor with all the people because you know the church today this is the early church the first church the church today doesn't really have a great connotation with just regular mm-hmm. Joes you know mm-hmm. and so. It's because they were witnessing this generosity, this just this unity, mm-hmm. you know, and and I just think because of that, and the, it ended with and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that it talks about their unity before it talks about how many people are getting saved every day. I agree. (laughs) And I have a question. Does this mean that I have to go to church? I think what we think about with church, no, it doesn't mean you have to go to a building, but it means you got to have church somewhere. You need to have fellowship mm-hmm. with other believers. I mean, here they were doing in homes. They were still going to the temple, which would be, I guess, more equivalent to our church today. But the important part is not where. It was how and with who and what. So can I have church in my home? <laughs> Quit asking it like that. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's actually a huge movement right now. <laughs> church, church, home, home churches. churches. You know, and Mickey talks about this coming up, so I don't want to overstep anything that he says, but it, relationships are important. You know, mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. cannot just solely do this thing called life I mean, you want to be good with God, and that's important, but chances are if you're good with God, He's going to have you influencing other people. It's not mm-hmm. just it's not about just you. Mm-hmm. He's got some other people He wants you to help. So ultimately, it shouldn't be the question of, do I have to go to church? Because we are the church. Mm. So one way or the other, you need to be doing life with people and be in the hands and feet of Him, because that's ultimately what he tells us to do. And and like you mentioned earlier, God commands us yeah. to not He's forsake the assembling yeah. of ourselves together. We just have to re we don't have to redefine what church is. We have to get back to what God says church is. Right. We have to rethink really, it for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well Which is what the One Church Project is all about. <laughs> and that is coming up on part two of yeah. this uh, podcast series. So Acts chapter 2 was such a big chapter, we're going to break it into two parts, two different podcasts, so that you guys can listen to one when you have time and listen to the next. But we encourage you to listen to part two of uh, the Last Days um, podcast, which will be Pastor Mickey Lindsay coming up talking about the One Church Project. It's awesome. It's longer than normal for our interviews, but it was too good to cut short. So uh, we love you guys. Please please pray for us, and uh, we will see you next week, Lord willing. God bless. God bless.